Hello and welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tani Levitt, and I'm just going to jump straight into it. It has been a wild week. I'm sitting in the car recording for the second time this week. We were all ready to have an episode for you Wednesday morning. Jerry and I sat down and had a great conversation on Tuesday about Zaire Williams and Josh Christopher and Imani Bates, and you're about to hear that. But then, just after we finished, we got news that Isaiah Todd was decommitting for Michigan, and then word was trickling out that we might hear on Jalen Green, and sure enough, Jalen Green decides he's going to go straight to the G League. So after that, I <laughs> well, we had to call up our boy Kevin Flaherty and have a whole separate conversation. So you're getting a double episode this week. First section before the break, we're going to have Jerry Meyer talking about Zaire Williams, Josh Christopher, what kind of players they are, what that means for Stanford and Arizona State, and Imani Bates, and what does it mean that he won Gatorade Player of the Year. And then after the break, we're going to hear from Kevin Flaherty, who will tell us all, you know, give us his feedback on what he thinks, you know, Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd going pro means for college basketball. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jerry Meyer. All right, so we've got Jerry Meyer on the line. And Jerry, we had three pieces of information, college basketball recruiting. We've got Zaire Williams committing to Stanford. We've got Josh Christopher committing to Arizona State. And we've got Imani Bates just this morning winning Gatorade National Basketball Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. And so these are three, if you don't mind my saying, three of the best basketball players in the world under the age of 19. And so this is must-discuss must uh, conversation points. And, and let's start right off the bat with Zaire Williams committing to Stanford the other day. And my first question for you is, I know you like this guy. What kind of a player is Stanford getting? Mm-hmm. And what do you like most about his game? Yeah, you know, I love and I don't love. Um, I think I think he's extremely talented offensively, um, really good with the basketball in his hands. He fits the prototype of players that are very – you know, valuable and popular right now. Those like combo forward types that can have versatility, play multiple positions. I wish he was a little more physical. That would be the downside. Um, hopefully, that'll come with time, and very often it does. But he um, he does have great upside because he can really handle the basketball. He can shoot. He has a feel for the game. He can shoot off the dribble, shoot off the catch. Um, you know, just needs to toughen it up a little bit. But, I mean, he is a legit top-ten prospect. Mm-hmm. And would you say that toughness is an issue on both sides of the ball, or is that just a defensive issue for you? Because, obviously, his offensive game, the finesse, is already there. Uh, probably both. I mean, you know, it usually, is, usually toughness uh, more relates to rebounding, you know, defending. Um. There's a mental toughness and kind of a toughness with the ball aspect. You know, certain players are, you know, we call it in coaching, we call it being strong with the ball, you know, be strong with the ball. And, um, but he's just a developing player, man. He's got so much talent. You know, I'm just nitpicking this, you know, breaking this game down. But, you know, so it kind of relates to both sides. Um, You know, Brandon Boston kind of took over that team. Uh, I thought in the, a little bit of Sierra Canyon, and I felt maybe you know not a, my sample size is not that great. You know I watched those guys play like maybe three, four times, 
this year, but it looked like he took a little bit of a step back as far as being the alpha leader, you know, main guy of the team. But so, you know, to answer your question, you know, I think, I think it's both sides of the ball. It's an overall thing, but he is an extreme talent. And, um, you know, a lot of times that's a natural progression, especially for a skilled finesse based combo forward type. Um, a lot of times, uh, the toughness and the grit sometimes comes later in the development. So, Jerry, Zaire, obviously, like you mentioned, played at Sierra Canyon, a school that got a lot of attention nationally mm-hmm. with Bronny Jr. on the team and a bunch of other really high-level basketball players. And so my, I'm curious, what does it say to you that Zaire chose Stanford over North Carolina mm-hmm. and didn't go to a Blue Blood after having been, let's say, at a Blue Blood version of of a program on the high school level. What, what does that say to you uh, about Zaire? I don't know. You know, I mean, it, it could say, <laughs> I guess if you had an agenda, you could come from different directions on it. Um, uh, to me, he's academically oriented. I, I think academics is always important to him. Um, I think he likes the comfort, I would assume, of staying out West. You know, it indicates that, you know, just being close to home, who can blame anyone for that? I wouldn't want to leave California. <laughs> I'm always wanting to go to California. So, you know, I don't know how much it tells me. I mean, the only thing definitively, I think academics is very important to him and his family. And, you know, and, you know, maybe it says he maybe is intrigued with the idea of being the go-to guy, you know, that try to, you know, be the marquee man, uh, maybe build a program up. Um, type ideal, uh, you know, that very well could be a a possibility. You know, instead of just fitting in at North Carolina and being one of many, you know, I mean, this is a pretty big deal for Stanford uh, to get a guy this highly rated. Yeah, that's my next question. Is Zaire the best Stanford commit in your time covering recruiting? You know, I'm guessing by the numbers he is uh, what popped up into my head and I – have not taken the time to look at these numbers, you know, so you might want to get on that, but, uh, the Lopez twins, uh, Brooke and Robin, uh, I would think you could safely say those three, you know, in the 16, 17 years I've done this, uh, they would be your guys, but you know, I'm not exactly sure where the, the, the twins were ranked. Um, you know, actually while we keep talking, I'm going to look that up, but yeah, I would think it's, it's one of those three. Yep. For Stanford fans, obviously, it's a very exciting time. They were a bubble team last year, kind of living around the 30-ish mark uh, in Ken Palm throughout the year. We talked about them a couple times. Good shooting team, good offensive team, but maybe struggled uh, keeping the ball uh, on the floor. No, not Struggled to uh, limit the turnovers, but it, it'll be very exciting uh, for the upcoming year. And, you know, while you look that up, Jerry, I'm going to move on mm-hmm. and, and start talking about yeah, Josh yeah. Christopher. And so I'm going to ask you the same questions I did about Zaire. Mm-hmm. Josh committed to Arizona State just uh, just this week. And so what kind of player are the Sun Devils getting? And what do you like most about his game? Yeah, he, he's kind of different than Zaire, just to use you know a contrast here. Uh, very physical player. 
very thick. Like, I mean, he's a dense, strong, you know, bodies bounce off him type guy, which is a little opposite of Zaire. Um, I like to use the term functional athleticism. Um, Josh Christopher could probably very easily win a lot of dunk contests, but what's special about his athleticism is not that. It's what he does when he's in tight space, when he's dealing with contact. He he makes plays in a crowd. Um, he just has a power to his game. Um, very good defender. He's one of the few guards that I've ever thought of the term rim protector with. Um, when, when he gets back in scramble situations and gets to the rim to protect it, uh, he's really amazing at that. And then he can get you buckets. Three level, you know, all the cliches for a bucket getter work. He, all three levels um, has a you know, pretty smooth shooter, but just brings a physicality to his game that I love. And he, and he, he has a complete game. You know, he plays defense, offense, he does it all. So I, I am, I, I, re, I really like his game. You know, there's some players you just kind of like, and uh, Josh Christopher is definitely one of those for me. Dang, I didn't realize you were uh, so high on this guy. Well, I'll have to keep an eye out on him. And you know, same questions as I asked about Zaire. Mm-hmm. You know, is Josh Christopher the best commit to Arizona State since you started covering recruiting? And obviously. James Harden is the guy that everyone is going to talk about. You know, these are two guards, really complete games, big-time scores. So I'm curious to hear, you know, your thoughts comparing these two guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I, you know, I think numbers-wise, I, I did look this one up. I think um, Harden, but this was even before 24-7 sports existed. But in retrospect, you know, doing the composite rankings and bringing other people in and making those rankings. I believe it's number 14. So by the numbers, Christopher's ranked higher. Would I predict that Christopher is going to be better than James Harden? No way. I would predict that. You know, sure, it could happen. I mean, James Harden is just such a phenom. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's him or Harden. And so the other question with Josh Christopher has to do with his decision to choose Arizona State over Michigan. I know that the majority of our crystal ball picks over at 247sports.com uh, had Michigan, and it kind of took us and the rest of the industry by surprise that Josh Christopher decided that he was going to commit to Arizona State. And so I'm curious to hear your insight as to what happened, what chose, uh, what led Josh Christopher to choose Arizona State over Michigan, and you know potentially what led us astray as an industry. Well... Probably not good insight. <laughs> it's me and everyone was wrong on that. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think they were legit, you know, look in hindsight now, in hindsight. Um, my sort of talk around it would be, uh, I, think, I think they were really enamored with the attention from Michigan. I think the dad, like now that I look back at it, so many of the quotes, so much of the pro-Michigan um, media stuff was from the dad. So that's something to note. Um, I think they enjoyed the attention. I think the dad really liked Juwan Howard. Um, man, I think Arizona state did just a great job keeping it on the low. And, uh, man, we got, tr- <laughs> we got tricked. <laughs> 
Um, sort of like Jalen Brown, you know, everyone thought he was going to go to Michigan. I remember that. And, and then he thought Kentucky, if he didn't go to Michigan, Kentucky, and he ends up in California. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We'll take it. Um, but Michigan, I don't know. It's so weird to me. This is like what I was thinking about last night when all this went down. It was like, man, two of the greatest misses and kind of embarrassments for the crystal ball have both involved Michigan. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if there's any, like, you know, logical explanation on that other than just happenstance. But, uh, you know, it was just kind of weird to me. Well, you got the right colors. Oh, where are they? <laughs> Well, the thing is, dude, no one bats 100%, you know, probably, probably a bad analogy because, you know, baseball players are like way, way, way below that. They're batting average. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't bother me. You get some I, I, you get some right, you get some wrong. We get way more right than wrong. I, to me, you know, go just to go into a little crystal ball philosophy here, I what I find fascinating of the, about the crystal ball is it, it it gives you an indication of and kind of records what the industry is perceiving of a recruitment. And it's kind of interesting when the industry is wrong, you know, um, I just think it provides insight and like, why did this happen? You know, what was the deal? But uh, Arizona state got it done. Uh, obviously you have his brother playing there. I, you know, um, I think we'll look back and be like, oh, oh, should have known this, should have known that. But, you know, not that big a deal. We move on to the next recruit. Well, the whole point of the crystal ball is to try to project the unprojectable. And I saw some people on Twitter trying to maybe come after you and other people who put in, uh, come after you and, and the other guys who put in crystal ball picks. And I, I just think that's a bit unfair. Uh, you get them right, you get them wrong, man. <laughs> I, yeah. It's it's part of the it's part of the greatness of the crystal ball is that it uh, you know it brings out emotion it's evocative uh, and I I do think like what I love is like the graph where you can see how things change crystal ball wise in a guy's recruitment I just I find that very fascinating just to see how the industry's perception is moving along a recruitment. Now, Jerry, one of the last times we spoke on the podcast was about, you know, high school basketball phenom Imani Bates. And this morning it was announced that he won Gatorade's National High School Basketball Player of the Year as a sophomore. And, you know, everyone loves his game. I love his game. You love his game. He's an amazing basketball player. But, you know, what makes Imani Bates so special? Can you please just wax poetic, tell the people at home again, what makes his game that transcendent? Well, uh, well, sure. I mean, you know, I feel like I say the same stuff about these guys because I kind of am. I mean, they're just really good. But he, he is in that category of a Zaire as far as that combo forward around six eight or what have you. Um, offensively, he has more of an. And this is interesting because it kind of harkens back to what you know you asked about Zaire on both sides of the ball, the toughness issue. And Monty Bates, like like he has some real offensive toughness. I mean he will he's a thin guy. He's in the mold of a Kevin Dark Garnett who like he kind of reminds me of him in a lot of ways. He's a little more perimeter oriented. But Kevin Garnett, um Durant, you know, that type of body type, but he brings the edge when he attacks the basket, he really attacks the basket and he attacks the defender as well. 
Uh, he has a really good feel for getting leverage on his defender. Um, yeah, he can, I think he can really, really pass the ball. Uh, he can go either direction with about the same more the same amount of efficiency. Um, can shoot. He can score at all three levels. Uh, just, just uh, you know, a tremendous talent. And the craziest thing is that he's a sophomore. So- sophomores don't win this award. Like, how crazy is it that Imani Bates won this a- as a sophomore? Well, that's. I think. I think it's extremely crazy. I mean, if you look at the history of Gatorade Player of the Year, I mean, I doubt this has ever happened before. I'm. I'm not sure. I really don't. You know, know the specific history, but it, it's enormous. I, I remember what else I was going to say uh, to that previous question is. He's in a good situation because he doesn't play as far as winning awards. He he does not play for, you know, one of these national power teams, you know, like he's playing for his high school um, team in his community or in his region. And, you know, so you get, you got some monster numbers. I mean, what, when he like 31 points, almost 10 rebounds a game. Um, so that's tremendous. That's a little harder to do, uh, you know, if you play for like Mont Verde. Like, you know, Cade Cunningham, who I love, um, and just think is a tremendous, tremendous player. You know, he's not going to put up the same numbers because he's, you know, he's got a powerhouse with a bunch of other great players. Between the fact that Imani Bates puts up monster numbers and his team needs him to put up monster numbers. Yeah, I mean, that's his role. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he's got to go out there and win the game for them. So between that and the fact that he is immensely, immensely talented, you know, for us in the 24-7 sports composite, we've got Imani Bates number one in his class. And, and so is there any reason to think that Imani Bates won't win National Player of the Year next year and the year after? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was, a, you know, when you, when you sent me the outline and I was looking over it for, for our podcast today, I I found that this the most, like, interesting question. Oh, Yeah. Well, they were all good questions, <laughs> Tony. But, 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 well, I don't, okay. But this it was the question that, like, got me. You know, I thought about. It. I was like, well, man, you know, I doubt it. <laughs> and I started thinking, you know, do I even know who the best freshman eighth graders are? I do not. Um, but it would be hard to imagine, as good as he is, and. Uh, winning it as a sophomore, I, I would imagine, is, it almost seems like a done deal the next two years. You know, for me, what stands out in his game is just how smooth he is on the offensive end. And you've talked, you know, at length on on multiple episodes in the past about how basketball feel, basketball IQ, and, and smoothness on the basketball court. That's something that comes with age, and to have that already in his sophomore year makes me feel like he's a, a, a shoe in for the next two years. Sure, he's got it. You know, you talk about players that have it or, I mean, he's got it. You know, a lot of stuff, um, a lot of stuff in basketball can be developed and some skills more than others. And, you know, that, that could be a whole another like entire podcast, but, um, his, you know, court awareness is, is, um, you know, his feel for time and space, spatial awareness is, really off the charts and sometimes you wonder if that's kind of something you're born with you know like how do you can you really develop that I, th- I think that's a really tough thing i think you can develop 
um, skills such as ball handling, passing, and, you know, learning to pass with your, your weak hand, you know, all, all the stuff you go to basketball camp for, uh, you can get better at that to take advantage of what you just kind of, you know, your basketball IQ, what that presents you, but it's, it's really tough, um, to drastically, let's say at least change, you know, players basketball IQ, you know, Monty just has a feel for the game. He gets it. He looks like he was born and destined and meant to be a great basketball player. All right, Jerry. So final question of these three pieces of news, Imani Bates winning national player of the year as a sophomore, Zaire Williams coming to Stanford and Josh Christopher coming to Arizona state. Which of these things is most interesting to you? Um, definitely Christopher to Arizona state because Imani Bates is tremendous. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised he won that. Probably I would have, you know, I don't think I vote for that. <laughs> so for a lot of stuff, I'm, I'm not sure it's that one. Um, you know, I think Cade Cunningham's a tremendous player, but whatever, you know. But I think the most, the bigger surprise is, uh, or the biggest noteworthy news story, is Christopher, uh, you know, deciding to play at Arizona State because uh, a lot of people thought if he stayed out west, you know, it'd be like a local school primarily UCLA, you know, in his hometown. But to me, that would be the one. Zier, the whole time, it was like North Carolina or Stanford, pretty much. No shock he went to Stanford. So, yeah, I'll go with Christopher. All right, Jerry. I really appreciate you calling in over the phone uh, to come do a podcast with me. I hope you and your family stay safe and healthy, and uh, we'll have to have you back on the show sometime soon. Yeah, appreciate it. Same to you. All right, so we're back now, 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show after the break later in the week with Kevin Flaherty. Kevin, we were supposed to do release this podcast on Tuesday, and then the news just kept coming, so I had to call you up. Sound good? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, for, for a week with no sports, there's been a lot of sports news. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Hey, hey, you know, we're blessed. We're blessed. So to fill, to fill the listeners in, and though I imagine they already know, so earlier this week, we had Isaiah Todd, who was committed to Michigan, committed to them back in October 2019. Uh, he decommitted on Tuesday after me and Jerry spoke. And Isaiah Todd was, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, was the highest commit in Michigan's history. He's now going to play overseas. Jerry thinks Isaiah Todd projects as a first-rounder. And then Jalen Green the number three prospect uh, in the class. He then uh, announces that he's going to be playing in the G League. And R. Evan Daniels is saying that he's uh, potentially going to be making upwards of a million dollars between uh, sponsorship deals uh, and and contracts from the G League. So, Kevin, (laughs) what is your immediate takeaway from these two huge announcements? Well, you know, it's funny because we started to see maybe a little bit of a trickle of this last year, right, with the guys who wound up going to to Australia rather than playing college basketball, and everybody sort of wondered, okay, what's what's the next step in this process? You know, it, it's not like there are going to be ten guys out of every class, you know, going and playing in New Zealand or, or Australia, and, and you know, it, it's kind of interesting the window that this G league thing opened up, you know, where they're going to have sort of this quote unquote trial team. It sounds like they're going to play about 20 G league games. So 
not a full G League season. Uh, players are going to be eligible to earn significantly more over that year than, than what they normally would have. And of course, the big thing, you know, with college sports not yet having name, image, and likeness, and you just brought it up, is these guys are going to be eligible for endorsements. And so if you come out and you're going to make a decent salary, but on top of that, you know, Jalen Green can sign with Gatorade or Nike or whoever, you know, all of a sudden this becomes a deal that's very financially attractive. And you you think about it, Tani, you know, the last full month of this season that we had was, what, February, I guess, because everything shut off in March. The G League Player of the Year, or Player of the Month, excuse me, in February was Frank Mason, a guy who was consensus, you know, National Player of the Year at the college level, who is now 25 years old. That's the guy these guys are going up against in this league. You know, Jonathan Motley was a very physically talented, gifted, you know, all-America forward at Baylor. That guy's in the G League. He's 24 or 25 years old and with the ensuing weight gains and, you know, lifting and all of that going in. And so I think it's going to be limited to the top guys. You know, the NBA, it was what, maybe a year ago, everybody was talking about, you know, okay, the NBA is going to do away with the one-and-done rule. High schoolers are going to be able to go into the league. It's going to be as soon as 2022. And here we are later, and they aren't any closer to it, and some would argue maybe even further apart than they were at at that point. And so this is almost kind of like an alternative to that where you could wind up, you know, losing, say, you know, five, 10 of the, of the top 20 guys or whatever to this option. I do agree with you. Once name, image, and likeness goes through, there's just a much better argument, you know, to be made on the college basketball front once you figured out that financial piece of it. And even without name, image, and likeness, guys can go pro now. And the G League is better than college basketball. The caliber of competition, the caliber of players, it's better than college basketball. But ask your average fan to name for you five G League teams and they couldn't do it. You know, nobody, not uh, other than other than degenerate college basketball fans like, you know, yourself and myself, Donnie, I don't know that there are a lot of people out there who are watching a G League game, you know, whenever it's going on. And so there is that allure to college basketball, and there are always going to be people driven to that point. And the last time that we had a de facto, you know, no one and done was the class of 2005. And in that class of 2005, nine of the top 20 guys in the 24-7 sports composite went, went to the NBA. If we lose nine of the top 20 guys out of this class – out of the next few classes, I think college basketball is still going to be there. It's still going to excel, and fans are still going to keep turning up and watching the sport the way that they do right now. You know, Kevin, exactly to that point, I think the thing that's going to be most interesting is when you have a guy like Zion Williamson who made it very, very clear that playing and winning college basketball games did matter to him. When you have someone like that in the future, I think, and this is just projection, I don't know, you know, it's complete speculation, but I feel like people will get even more excited about that kind of guy if you do have nine of the top 20 guys going, but you have the number one kid in the class come stay and make it very clear that college basketball matters to them. You know, that's that's a rallying point. That's people for people who love college basketball. That could be, you know, just as big as having, you know, five of those nine guys who might have gone pro. 
Sure. And you look at, you know, that, uh, that 2005 class, the number one guy in that class was, was Gerald Green, you know, who, who went, uh, went ahead and went on to the NBA, but the number two guy was Josh McRoberts and he did go to college, obviously at Duke and, and yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and so you look at it, it's not, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people are maybe misunderstanding about this is it's not like when we say nine of the top 20, it's not the top nine guys who are always going to go. And when you have some of those guys, like you said, if a Zion Williamson decided, you know what, I'm going to come to college. Of course, that guy, you're going to have the added fanfare there and okay. He chose us over, you know, going in and making, you know, a million dollars or whatever it is. Are we going to miss out on, on some of the top talents? Uh, of course we are. And we saw this year, you know, this year was a down year for college basketball. Part of the reason why was we had 80 bajillion guys enter the draft uh, and, and not be able to come back. You know, what was it, 90, I think, underclassmen wound up keeping their names in when you have 60 draft, you know, draft picks over the entire draft. Another part of it was the fact that, one, it was a weak freshman class anyway. A lot of people weren't as high on this recruiting class. But the other part of it is that three of maybe the top five players that class combined to play three games. You know, James Wiseman played three games. You know, LaMelo Ball and uh, R.J. Hampton never saw college. Cole Anthony missed a chunk of the season. And so even the guys that maybe you would have circled and said, okay, these are the guys that are going to be driving college basketball this season, they, they weren't there. And yet, even with this being a down year of college basketball, uh, I don't know about you. I was entertained. You know, there yeah, there course. was a, there there was a, a lot of a lot of fun basketball out there. You know, I don't think that you know Kansas fans with them having the season that they did. I I don't think that anybody was sitting out there bemoaning the state of college basketball when when they went into Waco and beat Baylor. I don't think Baylor fans were were talking about how upset they were about it. I think Kentucky fans were excited for the start of the NCAA tournament and a potential run. And, and so uh, that, that's what I think is, is going to happen. I, I think college basketball is set up well for the future. If they do pass the name, image, and likeness stuff, or when they do, like you said, I think it's, it's only going to put them into a stronger negotiating position. But anybody who looks at this and circles it and says, oh, my God, the the college basketball product is going to you know walk off into the sunset i I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon all right well that sounds like a a perfect place to end it kevin i appreciate you taking the time out on a friday um always good to have you on the show thanks a lot tony that's going to do it for a jam-packed episode of the 24 7 sports college basketball show Really appreciate Jerry Meyer for calling in, Kevin Flaherty for taking the time out on his Friday, and for you guys for taking the time out of your day to listen, whether it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whenever it is. And to all you guys listening via Embed, please go ahead, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you prefer. Subscribe so that you get it on your phone right away. And no matter who you are, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please, please, please give us five stars. Rating and review on Apple Podcasts it really makes a difference to us. I really appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Tony Levitt, and this is the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show.